Buckle up. It's showtime. It's time for the green room with Sean Green. Oh, no, with the show. All right, let's do it. All righty then, let's get started. And now for the moment no one's been waiting for. Let's check this Welcome, everyone, to the Green Room. We're doing it live here on SeanTGreen.com, presented by Amazon. Amazon, the leader in online retail. You go to SeanTGreen.com, you click that Amazon link, and uh, wow, I really appreciate the support, guys. Appreciate the links. Like I've said a million times, you can bookmark the link, come back to it at any time, and uh, everyone gets paid. Well, I'd like to come back to a guest I had on a while back. I've been a guest of his podcast, Actually, now podcast because he's just launching a new podcast called Man School. The host of Man School, Mr. Caleb Bacon. Caleb, what's happening? Hey, Sean. Thanks for having me. uh, It's good to be here on the green room for the second time in like four years. Yes. It's been a minute. Yeah, it has been. Uh, When you, uh, I think the first time you were on was when we were doing the show over at LA Talk Radio. And yeah, it was good times. And then I was a guest on your podcast, The Gentleman's Club. Sure, which I just retired. Yes. uh, A couple months ago. Now, take us through the process of retiring a podcast. What was the idea there? Because now I know you you've gotten some good traction. I, I, I you know check in from time to time. Seemed like some lively debates. You had some bigger name guests on. What was the reason transitioning into this new podcast, The Man School? Uh, one of the things I learned was that we, we're in podcasting because there's no rules. Yes. And because it's fun and because we can do, do what we want. But yep. uh, one of the things about it is... Nobody tells you when it's time to hang it up. <laughs> no, you don't get that. There's, Yeah, it's not like there's any network sensor going, all right, we're going to cancel this podcast, which is good for the creators, but, like, yeah, there's no editorial say whatsoever. Yeah, and there's no there's no handbook. I worked on the uh, NBC show Animal Practice last year, yes. the, the show with the monkey, and that got canceled, <laughs> and then I was out of a job. Uh, but with podcasts, like, it just doesn't work like that. And, and so I started the Gentleman's Club in uh, 2010, summer summer of 2010. Yeah. Uh, and after 150-plus episodes in three and a half years, it was just like, I'm done. Yeah, you I'm had out. a good run. Uh, thank you. But what happened was I stopped loving doing it. And then, like, the last eight months of the show, I stopped doing weekly episodes. And it was just kind of like, all right, I'll put out an episode became more of a chore. It was more begrudging that, okay, you had to do the podcast. You knew it was time to hang out the podcast shoes when there was no longer that fire in the podcasting belly for this particular podcast. Right, because I did not learn how to, like, record MP3s just to get tail. And it was like, you know, it's, I did it because I wanted to do it. And right. Actually, I did get some tail because of the podcast. <laughs> no. so, that, so that worked out pretty well. All right, now how does that work? Because... I feel like, well, I guess my girlfriend that I'm currently dating now was a guest on the podcast, so that was one instance where I guess I could you could say I quote unquote got some tail. But was that the move? No, no, no. Okay. Well, we well she was a comedian or she still is, and we had been friends for years, and then it just randomly just uh, took a romantic turn, and you know it just. Basically, uh, randomly hooked up one night and then started dating. Was it but we had been, during the podcast? No, no. That would have been an awesome live – that really would have gotten a lot more downloads, a lot more clicks, I'm sure, a live <laughs> hookup on the podcast. No, and uh, other than that, I don't think I ever really – and the girls I had on a lot of times were kind of 
odd girls or well, a lot of them were like female comedians that I know through comedy that I wasn't really inclined to want to date anyway. Because that's got to be weird for you because you see those girls every night at the club. Yes. And there's got to be, sure, you have some drunken hookups, but you probably actually like ask yourself, do I want to do this? Right. Yeah. It's a, I mean, it is the same way with the workplace romance of, yeah, it sounds great because you know them and your friends and whatever, but then... Yeah, obviously it gets weird if uh, yeah if it doesn't end up working out. But so now, how do you now you had some hotter chicks on? I know you had a couple adult film stars, or yeah, that was the one. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now take us take us through that dynamic. That sounds for every guy who hosts a podcast, every guy out there who starts a talk radio program on the internet. I feel like this is the fantasy. Well, okay, so I recently put up a, an article on the Huffington Post called Six Reasons to Quit Your Podcast. Oh, really? Okay, yeah, I, it, I missed that. i got to check that out. Uh, you'll love it. <laughs> and if you don't, it's uh, other people have liked it, which is yeah, really yeah. cool. But it's sort of like my manifesto about uh, you know passion and podcasting because I just got... I just wasn't passionate, and I realized it wasn't because I didn't like podcasting. I just needed to do a different show. Right. And one of the re- things that happened with Gentleman's Club was I had a lot of comedians on, but I also had a lot of porn stars on. And so, like, the people who love the porn shows, like, the downloads were through the roof. And uh, so many yeah. people would be like, yeah, I want more porn. <laughs> and then other people would be like, uh, porn stars are for watching have sex, not for listening <laughs> to talk. Yeah. And so my audience, like, I, one of the reasons I put in my six – pieces or six reasons article was uh quit if your audience is mad at you and i had <laughs> i had split my audience and they were mad at me and there was nothing i could do about it i was like doing two different shows but i had uh such a good time having porn stars over to my apartment yes that it was like now to sorry it, guys i love this now for people who are listening to this podcast who haven't been in caleb's apartment which probably are the majority maybe there's a couple <laughs> exceptions it's uh yeah it's a, it's a nice little setup. I feel like there's a Asian theme to the the apartment, like the decorating. A little bit, a little bit of fusion. Nice little setup. I'm what? told it's a nicely decorated place for a straight guy. Yeah, that's yeah. A, that's no, you're borderline. Compliment. Like, oh, okay. It's yeah. It's it shows a little. It's that classic. Exactly that classic straight guy design where it's enough that you have your shit together, but not that you're trying too hard. It 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 it. it it toes that fine line perfectly. Caleb. Well, it's still a studio apartment. Yeah, so. exactly. I mean, come on now. In a building full of Armenian people where, like, you walk down the hallway and you're like, is that somebody's body odor I smell or is that their, like, goat dinner? <laughs> so I, it's I probably know. a little bit of both. A it, it is a little bit of both. Yeah. Okay, so now you've booked – you've had porn stars on. Now, was this the first porn star you ever had on or – Not even close. Okay. Um, okay, so – I basically, I didn't realize that you could have sex with porn stars. Yes. Um, and it sounds silly to say, but I just thought it was like an abstract <laughs> thing of like, all right, there are these different people, they have these different lives, you just kind of watch them and jerk off, and that's, that's the relationship. And then I found out like, oh, they'll come over to my apartment. Um, but I was so intimidated. It took me like a bunch of porn star interviews to get confident to actually be like, all right, we're having a normal interaction. The first two uh, were Dana D'Armond and Caden Cross. Oh, yeah. And okay. so they're they're basically like cool, fun chicks. Yeah, they have a personality seemingly outside of just being porno chicks, yeah. right? Yeah. So I was so intimidated because not only are they uh, these these like great porn stars, they're <laughs> like Caden was like busting my balls a little bit. Yeah. And it's like how do I deal with this? Because I'm falling <laughs> in love so much. 
So after those first two, I was like, I'm never going to have sex with a porn star. And like, I didn't even want to, though, because right. also, there's a little bit of pressure there. Yeah, no, I mean, honestly, obviously, I've watched pornography. Um, yeah, but the idea of actually having sex with a porno chick, it is, like you said, it's it's intimidating. Like, it just feels... I feel like I'd be boring them or I would just be yelled at for not doing things right. I feel like having sex with a porno chick, I'd be so up in my head and I would, like you said, I would be in the same position. I'd be intimidated even if I was attracted to a particular one and was hanging out and felt a vibe. I, I don't know. I guess I – yeah. So how do you – so you, you've already warmed up to the porn stars via a couple interviews. Now this one in particular comes on and – Conversation is the podcast a lot better than the other ones? Do you feel more chemistry in the podcast? Well, there was kind of some interesting steps along the way. Like it just didn't go from all right, I'm intimidated. Now I walk in, I walk into my room, and I'm like, all right, you sit over there, bitch, and like it. It was, <laughs> it was totally not like that. Uh, there was one of them who was like referencing her vagina, and she like pulled her skirt up, and like it was right there. Yeah, and I'm like, oh. Okay, this is this is a little different. And then there's there's another one who I ended up like making out with after the podcast. Okay, uh, and I'm like, oh, this is kind of cool. But like nothing happened. And and then there's another one who I brought to a work party. Okay, uh, I was going out with a a nice girl, and I thought like I thought I needed a nice girl because I had like I had a, I don't know like a, like a like a six month stretch where I just basically dated sluts. Yes, uh, dysfunctional sluts, and you know I was. It was it was my fault for getting in all that mess, but then I meet this nice girl. I'm like, this is what I need. And then we go out for like two months. She dumps me via email, and I was working on the HBO show Luck with Dustin Hoffman, Nick Nolte, and yeah. a bunch of old white guys. And so we have the big rap party for season one at the Beverly Hilton. You know, fancy, fancy mm-hmm. shit. And so I'm just like trying to figure out whatever porn star I can bring <laughs> that I know to not only boost my self confidence, but uh, actually, no, that was pretty much it. <laughs> Boost my self-confidence. Yeah, maybe maybe get Nick Nolte coming over going, Caleb, my <laughs> man, what's going on with this situation? you got to work on your Nolte impression. <laughs> yeah, no, it's he's, not very He's good. down here now. <laughs> uh, I, by the way, I've been to Nick's house. It does not disappoint. He lives uh, Malibu, right? Yeah, it, it is so weird. Yeah, well, quick sidebar. Yeah, I used to work out in a Malibu shipping place, like a mailbox, etc., and his cousin, who was his like personal assistant, would always come in and, yeah, he talked about Nick. He said he was, uh, I, I don't know, he's, <laughs> he just sounds like he's a trip, <laughs> put it that way. Yeah, like there's so many like weird things about him. You're like, um, not only is he a weird, eccentric guy, but he never disappoints in the weirdness department. <laughs> like sometimes they'll be like, oh, he's wearing a linen suit and no underwear? Oh, man. But uh, That must, see, to <laughs> me, that would be like a lot of pressure to live up to this constantly outweirding yourself. But I guess if you're Nick Nolte, you just kind of are that weird, so it feels natural, and, and he doesn't... And he's just Nick Nolte, right? Yeah, I don't think he thinks he's weird, either. Oh, okay. Yeah. He thinks he's normal. Uh, he goes to, like, Germany every other month to get, like, his blood cleaned up. Nice. Like, not quite Lance Armstrong stuff, but... Yeah, uh, Kobe Kobe Bryant, Borderline, the plate lids enriched. Uh, yeah, that sort of thing. And, like, uh, it's a little more Keith Richards-y than Kobe oh, okay. Bryant. So I, I bring this porn star to this rap party, and I'm thinking... First of all, uh, every guy who I know who was there complimented me on that move for a year, <laughs> and so I was just I was just happy about that. But afterwards, I'm like, oh, I think I can hook up with this girl. And then I got involved in porn star drama, which oh. which happens like 23 hours of the day. 
<laughs> like I was just happy this girl actually like showed up because yeah. they're good at not showing up. They seem very flaky. But I ended up getting cock blocked by her porn star roommate. Oh really? Um, her porn. St- okay, this is a uh, longer story. But so the so the porn star had a porn star roommate okay. who was. Uh, like an escort who made a lot of money and paid for both of all their stuff. So okay. the girl I was going out with, basically, it was like her sugar mama girlfriend, <laughs> even though this other girl was like a 20-year-old porn star. And so the girl I was with had to, like, do chores. Oh. And so we get back from the party, she's got to walk the dog and clean up all the stuff and then go get her a sandwich. And then it was like two hours later, and we were both just like, ah, fuck it. Oh wow! Oh man! So cock blocked by a porn star. That's well. First off, that's a is that not a movie waiting to be happened? Like that sounds like some weird. I don't know. Like I feel like aren't you in porn for the money so that you can have your own place so you don't have to do chores? Like I feel like if I was a porno star, the last thing I would be doing is chores. I feel like chicks who get into porn are high maintenance and want money so they don't have to deal. Do shit, right? Uh, yeah, but you're, you're like, approaching it from, a, like, a normal person. <laughs> a rational brain. Like, you can get up and go to work every day. Like, they don't have to do that. Like, sometimes they'll, like, uh, get fucked on film every single day for a whole week, and then other times they won't have to work for, like, two weeks. Yeah. So it's just so all over the place that, and they're just so all over the place. Right, exactly. Yeah, I mean, the light, yeah, it's probably a self-selecting breed of chicks who are attracted to that kind of crazy work environment are also, yeah, like... Okay. You're a stand-up. You know about dysfunctional <laughs> groups of people. Exactly. I've, I've seen it all. Okay, so... All right, sorry. You you got cock-blocked. You yeah. didn't end up hooking up with her. You no. felt like you came close, and then what happened after that? Just It just... You guys never went out again, or no, no. The, uh, you can't get a hold of these girls, <laughs> or like, or like sometimes like they like text me and be like, "Let's hang out now," and then I text them back, and then like nothing. <laughs> and they just totally stuff like that. All I time. have heard that from uh, not even uh, porno chicks, but just really hot girls who kind of have the world by the balls, or got like just young hot girls will just be like, "Hey, you want to hang out sometime?" and then just not get back to guys and just. Yeah, they just are inundated with so much male attention that they don't really – they can just kind of spin a lot of plates or do whatever and it doesn't really affect them. Plus they're crazy. Yeah, exactly. So there's like – there's the crazy factor. Uh, um, So finally I go to the Porn Awards in Las Vegas last year. (laughs) That's always a great start to an anecdote. So finally I go to the Porn Awards (laughs) in Las Vegas. It it worked out so well. I had a little bit of time off from work and then I had to go back to uh, season two of Luck. And um, I found out I had like I still had like a week off, and my buddy's like, "Hey, I got to go to Vegas to speak at this convention." So I'm like, "All right." Your buddy was speaking at the porn. No, a, a different convention. Oh, okay. Uh, Las Vegas is big enough; they had you know yeah. more than one thing going on. He's like, "I got a place that's paid for. Um, you want to just hop in the car and go with me?" And I look at the calendar. I'm like, "Oh, porn awards! All right." <laughs> so I took the gentleman's club to Las Vegas. Okay. And recorded a show out there. Did some fun interviews, but I like bumped into all these girls I knew. And one of them just kind of became my girlfriend for the weekend. <laughs> and it was pretty fun. And how that – so that just worked out like a normal – there was no other outside thing going on. It was just like, hey, you're a chick in Vegas. I'm a guy in Vegas. Let's hang out for the weekend. Like well, there we was, knew each other. Oh, okay. Right. She did the podcast yeah. earlier. Yeah. And then what? You guys just hang out? And, okay. So now is this the first time you you hooked up with a porno star? This was, yeah. Okay. Now, first time you get her back to your room, take us through your mindset of like, oh my God, I'm having sex with a porno star. Uh, it, it was 
it was probably my weirdest sexual experience. Yeah. And, and not not in like a not in like a good way or not I don't Okay. But instead of me trying to analyze it, let me just tell you what happened. Yeah. She didn't want to kiss. Okay. And not in like a I'm a hooker kind of way. She wanted to talk the whole time. <laughs> Talk the whole time during sex? Like yeah. dirty talk? No, just talk. <laughs> but still have sex or do stuff? She or... had alien conspiracy theories. <laughs> like, that was literally brought up. Okay. Um, and she would occasionally, like, like uh, drop racist words, <laughs> which was funny to me because it's like... The whole thing was just so bizarre. Yes. And then uh, she wanted... Then she was like, you know, when we get back to L.A., I should be your girlfriend. And I'm like, uh, now is this before you have sex or right after? Uh, it's, uh, it was right after. Okay, but like it was brought up a few times throughout the weekend, and so <laughs> she laid out this plan for me, and I was not interested in this plan at all. But <laughs> now, what's I was the plan so involved? Fascinated by it. She's like, "Look, you can't get jealous of me fucking guys on film." I'm like, "Okay, sure, that's your thing." And she's like, "And you can't get jealous of me hooking up with girls." She's like, "I'm allowed to hook up with as many girls as I want." And uh, and I have to live with you for free, <laughs> and so that so those were the those are the three things, and she was like so serious about it all weekend, and then uh, get back to get back to L.A. and she never brings it up again. We never hang out again. That was it. <laughs> all right. Well, maybe one of the aliens got to her. Now the the sexual experience itself was it. Uh, so there was no kissing. So it was. I'm guessing it felt kind of cold. Oh, it was so weird. Um, yeah, I guess I'll get a little bit extra graphic here. So we literally like start hooking up. Yeah. And then, uh, I, look, I'm excited for this hookup. I've been <laughs> waiting for this for a long time. Yeah. Uh, and so we start hooking up, and, but she's talking so much that she like forgets that we're hooking up. So we're just kind of like naked on this couch, and I, I get so soft you can't even believe it. <laughs> And then it's like, remember that we're hooking up here? So it was like this like weird back and forth. And not exactly like, dear penthouse, you're never going to believe what happened. Yeah, so I was cracked up just because you'd like raise your eyebrows and you're like, I could just see you there sitting on the couch like, listen, we, this is my fantasy. I realize yeah, this is yeah. business as normal for you. You're making someone's life here, all right? You're creating podcast anecdotes as you speak. Don't ruin this. Not to mention, she was staying with a guy who was out gambling, who said she was allowed to hook up with whoever she wanted. Uh, and so I'm like, is this guy going to come back? Is yeah, that still kinda... might get murdered. Or... But it wasn't, no, it was like, he didn't care. Right. But I cared, because that's weird to me, because yeah, exactly. I'm not like part of that world. Right. Like, there's been so many times in my life where I think I'm the cool guy, or like I try and be the cool guy, or I'm like, all right, a threesome's going to happen, and then like both girls pass out. Yeah. Like, so that was sort of another one of those situations, but even though uh, I did get lucky. So you did end up having sex finally. It sounds like what? Nothing too crazy? No, and then we we hooked up again later that weekend, and it was a very limited hookup because she was very sore uh, <laughs> from a gal she had met earlier that day. From a get, well, at least it's from a gal. I feel like that would be. Now, did you feel intimidated at all that first time? You know, it was kind of cool because uh, she like treated me like a guy she was into. Oh, okay. So it was kind of like, oh, I'm doing all right here. You know, it wasn't like, please have sex with me, porn star. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so you, you were cool. kind of like, oh, hey, 
you please me, and you kind of felt like king shit for a little bit. And I'll talk about it on the green room a year and a half later. Exactly, or... down the line. Okay, so, now that's, a, I mean, that sounds pretty crazy. Now, did that, did that kind of tempt you, like, into the world of porn more, or did that kind of turn you off, that first one? Oh, I was just like, now it's on. <laughs> I was like, let's open the floodgates <laughs> and uh, f- flood it on in. Uh, that did give me some confidence. Yeah. And certainly. Um, even though it was such a weird experience. And then... But yeah, I guess maybe the first time, okay, you had sex with a porno star, you're a little less intimidated, now you have this other porno uh, chick in your apartment, you're doing a podcast, and how do you make that transition from just hanging out doing the podcast to hooking up? Well, okay, so there was one... There's another one I hooked up with. In between there? Uh, yeah, who... <laughs> She was. She came over to do a podcast and stayed for a day and a half. <laughs> and so that was like the most ideal situation ever. No. Uh, so okay, you you. Ha- she comes over. She starts recording the podcast, and then what? The mics go off, and then it's just like, hey, let's hang out. Or is it immediate? Getting into it right after. How, how's the transition? That's what I'm curious. This one's about. actually a little bit complicated too. Um, I think that's the only way it works for porn star hookups. Like it's got to be. It can't be normal in any way. Right. So this was on the. This was on a weekend, like late afternoon. I had a date that night with with a girl who wasn't wasn't too serious. We were just we were just screwing around. We agreed to be casual, and I think we were going to like a bar to watch watch a a, a game or something like that. So so I decided. To bring the porn star on my date with me, whoa, yeah, that was a, it was a risky move, but <laughs> I was I was I was all in on that one. Okay, so all right, I'm still okay. Podcast ends. You guys yeah. are hanging out, making small talk, and then you say, "Hey, I got a date. Do you want to be my date to this date?" Yeah, yeah. And the porno chick was into it. Well, it's like, hey, I'm hanging out with my friend. It's going to be a good time. You should come with us, and that's what happened. Now you. Did you guys mess around at all before you went on this date? No, no. Okay, so now, in your mind, you can still say, even with this other girl that you are actually had the date set up with, the normal girl, you can still be like, oh, well, she seems fun, whatever, like, she was in the air. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so now you bring the, you show up to the date with the porno star. How does that work? Uh, uh, it was a little bit awkward at first, <laughs> but I tried to massage the situation as best as possible. So you were... Were you trying to go for a threesome, or... Well, they really hit it off. Like, they were, like, exchanging numbers, like, really quickly. Like, you know, girl talk, like, oh, we gotta hang out, and... I don't know, what do girls do? Nails? Yes. They do nails, that's a thing. And so I I just figured, this is a good time to go for it. Uh, and all that happened was, by the end of the night, my the girl who was supposed to be my date, she got pissed off and left. Okay, so eventually she got burned out on it, or she saw that you were more interested in the porno chick. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Yeah, um, that was actually the last time her and I ever <laughs> hung out. <laughs> Go figure, Sean. I don't know how that... But hey, kudos to you, Caleb, for pulling that ballsy move. Or just... Uh, hey, man, you were just kind of in the moment. You're like, hey, man, carpe diem, let it ride. Hey, it didn't work out. No one no one thought it would. But hey, sometimes you gotta you got to throw those dice, man. Uh, yeah, and I, and I threw them, and then the porn star and I spent, spent the whole weekend together, pretty much. So now... Was there was there like was it obvious at this date where your normal guard and the porno chick are there? Was it obvious then that the porno girl was into you? When did you when could you tell that she was into you? Oh, like as soon as we started hanging out. Oh, okay. Yeah, there was just there was just some some vibes and and uh, I was being charming and funny and uh, just and just being flirty and so 
And she was responding pretty well. Nice. And then you just take her back. How was that experience? That sounds like that's much more ideal than the Vegas. It was a lot more ideal, but it still had like its kind of weird things. I don't like. Uh, I uh, I like the sex. I halfway decent at it. Yeah, but uh, she was very demanding, <laughs> and I was just like, I don't know what to, I don't know what to do now. <laughs> so you were just like it, you just felt exhausted. You couldn't live up to the. Intense demands. There was a there was a moment where she wanted me to slap her ass, and so I'm like, sure, okay, you know, I'm down with that. Traditional request. She, yeah, uh, nothing too out there. And uh, I'm like uh, six foot two, strapping linebacker of a guy. Well, yeah, the beer gut. But uh, <laughs> and I I do my best to slap that ass, and she was never satisfied. It kept wanting me to do it harder. I'm like, what? What do you want? I don't even know. <laughs> and to what pull, to do. you're gonna throw out a, throw your shoulder trying to smack this chick's ass. Yeah, it's like, do you want me to make a fist at this point, or <laughs> put on like an oven mitt, or that would actually probably make it lesser. But yeah, exactly. So that's why now I keep brass knuckles next to me, <laughs> just in case. Uh, and all right, but that one sounds like it was a little better. And then, did you ever hang out again? Uh, yes and no. Okay. No, I, I like saw her somewhere. Oh, okay. And but you we, guys didn't. We sort of hung out a little bit, but nothing, nothing happened. That, but that was the last time. Now, with these porno chicks, is there drinking involved? Is it kind of like a party scene, or is it just the playful flirting type? Uh, the, what, in Vegas, there was uh, drinking involved on her end, but I uh, I quit booze a while ago. Oh, okay. And uh, didn't didn't work out so well. <laughs> And so, that, oh, that's another weird thing. That was my first time in Vegas, like, since I got sober. Yeah. And I'm like, why would I ever want to go to Vegas now that I don't drink <laughs> or do drugs? And then I found a reason. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the awards. Now, how long have you been uh, sober for? Uh, five years. Okay. Yeah. How's that going? Uh, it's weird to have a beer gut at five years sober. <laughs> if I, you I, think I, eventually you've worked through, right? Uh, Man. Well, I... I, I don't know. I've just had so many, like, food issues. Oh, okay. Since I, since I put down the, the harder stuff. It's just you like, just find different stuff to kind of, you know, have your addiction or, or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. And then also, I'll get on like an amazing exercise kick and like drop thirty pounds, and then I'll I'll gain it back. Yeah, and I've done that like a whole bunch of times. Yeah, and then once you kind of get the yo yo going, it's uh it's tough to stop it. Now you're what uh was there anything in particular that happened to cause you to get sober, or was it just an overall? Oh, I was a bunch of stuff. Um, I mean, by the age of 26, I had built up a lot of evidence that alcohol and drugs and myself uh, don't get along as well as I would like. <laughs> Just doing crazy stuff, getting in trouble with the law? Uh, yeah, me getting in trouble with the law is pretty hardcore. I got a jaywalking ticket once. Okay. Uh, I got an open container ticket okay. another time, so I'm a pretty rough guy, Sean. <laughs> No, I know you've got a drunk driving, so you... Yeah, uh, I got a DUI, so I'm just trying to see the telltale signs of... And that didn't that didn't give me the idea uh, to slow down drinking. Well, actually, I guess I, I did slow down drinking, and definitely haven't uh, drank and drive since. I mean, that it's just such a huge process, and just such an insane money and time waste that I could never see myself drinking and driving again. Hopefully, I'd... I don't ever find myself in that position. I do, but so there was there was not like one catastrophic thing. Oh, well, was, there was, but there was a lot of stuff like leading up to that. Oh, okay. Where I was like questioning, like, what the hell is going on with me? But I finally. Uh, so, are you familiar with Morrissey? Yeah, and the Smiths. Yeah. So I went to a Morrissey show. 
and I was uh, I was not doing too well emotionally. Okay. And uh, I had a very very half assed suicide attempt okay. after the Morrissey show, which okay. uh, which a lot of people find amusing because they're like, <laughs> oh, Morrissey's depressing. But it was more my issue. It's like, a little cliche. Yeah, but yeah. I do not blame Morrissey. I don't blame any <laughs> members of the Smiths for their you know works. And I sort of I stopped showing up for work because I was just I don't know I was just so you, you were just a guy who it sounds like. Yeah, you were just depressed, and drugs and alcohol just kind of dug you in a dark place, right? Yeah, right. yeah, and I thought they were like what was fixing me. Yeah. And so uh, it just made it a lot worse, and so finally my boss at the time was someone who had quit alcohol and heroin, and he was like, I think I know what's going on with you. And I was like, no, I, no, I just, <laughs> oh, because I had punched a bus stop. Okay. And uh, by the way, a bus stop that thing kicked my ass. <laughs> I, I, I didn't it is funny when anyone hand. ever attacks like an inanimate <laughs> object. The inanimate object always wins, and yet still we haven't learned. Well, my hand, my hand blew up like a like a Christmas turkey, uh, and so I figured uh, as someone who needed to like type for their job, that I was like, well, I'm I'm fucked if I tell them tell them the truth. So I made up a lie and. Uh, he knew it was a lie and basically said, I'll give you a chance to get your shit together. Uh, if you don't want to do that, I can fire you. And because of like how much I'd beaten myself up, I was like, all right, I'm ready to just try something else. Yeah. I was 26 and just tired. Yeah. It was exhausting. Well, that's good, man. Congrats on yeah, uh, getting clean and getting sober. And I mean, yeah, it's got to be tough in Los Angeles, but like you said, finding podcasting or... Uh, you know, something else to re- stuff like that to replace it. Have you found like one particular thing that when you feel like, I mean, do you still get tempted to drink or do you still like, is it tough or have you gotten to a place where it's a lot easier? I mean, I imagine the beginning it's tougher, but yeah, it's a lot easier, but it's like, it's, uh, because after five years, like for example, like I've been to weddings and yeah. I've done that sober. So there's been like so many tests and things like that where I'm like, how am I ever going to do this? It's like I've done it, so I know it's like not as big of a deal. So there's a lot less anxiety, and um, and also like I can go. All right, the past five years, my shit has gotten so good. Yeah, I'm on the green room for the second exactly. time. Exactly. <laughs> what more do you want? <laughs> exactly. Multiple podcasts. You just retired a podcast. Yeah. You're starting a new podcast. I, I really like my life. Yeah. Well, that's. I mean, that's great. And yeah, that seems like. Yeah, this cycle of addiction seems pretty simple in that, yeah, there's always kind of a bottoming out. And then, yeah, once people get clean and uh, yeah, clean up their act, they feel a lot better. Rarely do you ever hear the story of someone that says, hey, I stopped drinking and it was the worst decision of my life. no No one ever regrets stopping drinking or doing drugs. I am drinking a beer while we're doing this podcast, so... Just don't um, pour it on me. Yeah, exactly. I don't... Um, and I, like, I totally don't care what anybody else does. Yeah. And, and uh, I don't lecture anybody. I do not Well, I think people shit. get self-conscious, or at least in my own things, because it's like, oh, man, it's probably my own issues of like, oh, man, if I quit drinking, there was a guy sitting there drinking a cold beer right in front of me, I'd be... But it's just me projecting that. Or I'm sure a lot of that is people projecting their own substance abuse issues onto uh, your situation. Yeah, I just don't like when people do drugs. Yeah. Like, uh, if someone, like, starts cutting up some Coke on a table, I'm like, all right, this is not my party anymore. <laughs> That's a little here. too intense, right? It's or just, it just feels just like... Weird. Yeah. And it feels... I mean, I guess it would... 
Yeah, that feels like it's kind of crossing the line, whereas at least alcohol and social situations, it's a little more, it feels like more part of normal society, and I don't know, I, I haven't been in that situation where as tempting or... Yeah, it's not even that it's like tempting, I just don't like, I don't like people on drugs, I don't like, uh, now, I'm, now I'm 32, I'm becoming yeah. like, kind of like an old man. <laughs> drugs just sound like a workout now. <laughs> well, if I go to like a concert and everybody's bumping into me... I just yeah. get so pissed off. Oh, my God. Yeah, I went to this girl's uh, birthday party, and I was just – I was in there for 30 seconds. I went with the girlfriend, and it was like, oh, hey, this person's in comedy or whatever. You know, you, you want to make an appearance because I didn't realize this, but half the succeeding in entertainment and comedy is just going to these people's fucking birthday parties. I, I didn't know that. <laughs> I didn't realize that was a part of getting booked on comedy shows. I thought it was just – Doing comedy and being good at comedy, but like showing up at people's birthday parties, you know, just like glad handing, working the scene or whatever. And went into a bar and it was just like jam packed and just hot. And not only is that annoying, like the dance floor situation, but then, then just like that bar that's just crowded and then just people on top of each other. And you realize I'm boxing guys out for like a nine dollar Bud Light. This is the it's the worst <laughs> night of my life. Like, ah, I just have no energy to do that anymore. And I guess it's I, – I, you get a little bit of energy when you're single and you're like, all right, I got to do this to go meet chicks. But, yeah, if if it's like if – you're, if you're dating someone or whatever, oh, man, just the energy of going out and hanging out at a club is just not there for me. Fair enough. No, I, I totally get it. Plus, you have a girlfriend. So oh, – but also, you're at comedy clubs all the time. Why yeah. do you want to go out any more than that? No, I know. That's the thing. Like, I – yeah, I feel like I would be – I think a lot of my drinking is related to comedy just because out of sheer boredom, you're sitting there, you're waiting to go up, and then you're just, you know, tapping your foot, pacing around, just hanging out, and then, all right, fine, I'll have a beer here, beer there. I I really don't allow myself to have more than like one, maybe two beers during the week. And then even on the weekends, it's like, all right, you know, maybe you have a few here or there or the Super Bowl. You know, I'll, I'll drink a ton of beers. But did you black out for the second half? Just like the power <laughs> yes. did in New Orleans? I, did, I, I think I had a joke about that that, like, wait, my blackout was televised just because, <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, actually, no, the year last year was real bad for me because. Well, we have, like, people over to the house for the Super Bowl party, so I'm not going anywhere. And then I'm just cooking food and grilling and whatever. And I start drinking beer at, like, you know, start cracking beers at, like, noon. So, yeah, I'll get pretty drunk. But the year before, when people, you know, break out hard liquor and stuff like that or whiskey, that's when I get into trouble. Or trouble meaning, like, blacking out. Uh, but I don't do anything crazy. Like, I'll just talk gibberish and then pass out. You know what I mean? Like, it's... I don't know. I'm not, like, starting fights or... Sure, we had different issues. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't know. I'd, like, find, like, six Puerto Rican guys at a bar in Hollywood, which, by the way, there's no Puerto Ricans here. <laughs> and I find, like, six of them, and I walk up and be like, buy me a drink. <laughs> and I don't know why. But in my... I'm, okay, I'd be like, why are my friends taking me out of this bar again? <laughs> Just... That's so hilarious. I mean, yeah, that's hilarious, A, that you found Puerto Ricans that you had a boss around, and then B, that you found Puerto Ricans in Hollywood. They're probably Mexicans, now yeah. that I look back at it. <laughs> You're probably that drunk. Oh, I'm from, I'm from New York, where there's, our exactly. Puerto Ricans are Mexicans. Right. So yeah, I'm from, I'm from uh, Bethlehem, outside of Philly, and yeah, same type of thing. You come here, and you're like, wait, no Puerto Ricans? How does this work? 
Like, how come they're not sassy? <laughs> I know. Those, yeah, Mexican guys are, I feel like, way more laid back in that sense. Uh, Puerto Ricans, I feel like they got a little bit more of that Spanish blood. A little bit more feisty. Uh, definitely. Now, I gotta say, Sean, I feel like a real degenerate. I'm uh, talking about these porn excursions I've had. Yeah. I'm talking about my problems with drugs and alcohol. <laughs> yes. What other, like, shithead things can I tell you about my life? Well, you know, that's uh, it's great fodder for the podcast. Now, you mentioned you're on the show Luck. You were doing uh, writing assistant, even doing a little writing there for Yeah, on Luck, HBO, horse, uh, Killed a Few Horses. Yeah, well, that's what I was going to get to. I read that article, and I was like, they can't be canceling the show because of this couple of animal deaths. I don't know. Give us the inside scoop of kind of what went down and what really happened, or from it, your point of view. It's so funny because this is one of those things where so many people are curious about Luck after the show. Yeah, uh, because it ended so weird, but nobody was watching it anyway. Oh, okay. Well, because I, my buddy was like, they're going to cancel it because these horse deaths, and I'm like, if it was supposed to be a huge hit, I bet they wouldn't cancel it. But then it's HBO, so ratings I feel like are a little bit weird there. I, yeah. I don't know. I don't know any like real dirt or anything, but yeah. I was I was super close to all that stuff. But uh, one thing I know about HBO is the way it works is if a show gets good ratings, they're really happy. And if a show only gets okay ratings, but it gets a ton of awards, they're really happy too. Yeah. But Luck hadn't been through like a full award cycle. So one thing it did not get was big ratings. So maybe it was going to get awards, but probably not. Yeah. I don't know. So well, my it was buddy, a really um, expensive show. I didn't get a chance to catch – I think I saw maybe – no, I think I had a TiVo and I was going to get into it. My buddy was recommending, like, hey, you got to check it out. And I was like, oh, yeah, I know this guy, Caleb. And then I, it was one of those, you know, the shows on my to-do list to get into. And then the show got canceled. I'm like, oh, no, I'm not, I'm not going to get into it now. Like, you know, have that tease of uh, – because I, you know, being a sports gambler, that kind of yeah, – sure. that, uh, that world f- uh, fascinated me. So, Well, the happy ending was I quit luck a week before it got canceled. Oh, really? Yeah, I was the only one at the rap party not crying. <laughs> and, so you quit and you still got invited to the rap party? Yeah, well, I got a job uh, working on the TBS sitcom Sullivan and Son. Yes. And I wanted to be in comedy, not, not our drama, and I was doing our dramas for a while and – so I was really happy to make that move, uh, and, and I was like, I don't know if I should do this. And then a week later, luck gets canceled. I'm like, thanks God, that was my sign. That exactly, was the right move. For Perfect me. that you're uh, on track there. So now Sullivan and Son, give us a little uh, for people not familiar with the show. Uh, what's what's the premise? What what do they got going on there? Yeah, it's one of those things where like uh, there's so many shows now. Even though our show is technically a hit. So many people have no idea about yeah. the show. and we, It's like uh, it's a sitcom. It's on TBS. It's produced by Vince Vaughn and Peter Billingsley. Uh, and it stars a bunch of stand-ups and some older character actors. It takes place in a bar in uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Yeah. Uh, and this is a lot of good jokes, and it's fun, and I love it. Uh, second season? Second season, yeah. We're, we're working on writing now. Um, comes out this summer. Oh, wow. That's, uh, ten uh, episodes, TBS. So they do ten episodes a season? Yep. Okay, cool. Uh, and it's Thursday nights, 10 o'clock. Um, by the way, we'd beat Anger Management, the Charlie Sheen show. Oh, wow. We'd beat Louie. We'd beat Wilfred, all these other like cool comedies that are on Thursday nights. So. Right, kicking some ass, man. So it's kind of nice. And so, all right, that's uh, it's pretty exciting, man. Congrats with that. Um Oh, wait, well, I feel like we got sidetracked from the original premise of... Uh, porn stars. <laughs> exactly. It's hard not to get not to get uh, sucked down that rabbit hole. So, basically, you were talking about originally you'd kind of split the audience in the 
uh, gentlemen's club podcast between people who wanted to hear about porno and people kind of wanted to hear the cool hip comedy. You decided to throw your basically retire the podcast, start a new podcast, Man School. Give us the premise for that. Yeah. So one, once I realized, like, okay, my problem is. I'm just done with the gentleman's club and I decided to like to quit it like something opened up in my imagination like this this magical like space in my brain that was used towards just putting out podcasts and not thinking about anything new once that was free I had this new idea for a show and like I've talked about like you know with alcohol and drugs like you know I've I've been through a couple things yeah, um, and I don't want to be there anymore. And I I don't want to be walking up to Puerto Ricans saying weird things to him, or <laughs> Mexicans, or you know any, yeah. any groups of half dozen ethnic people. Right, uh, ethnic could be Irish in your case. Exactly, you know? and I we're not good in bunches. <laughs> so one of the things that has kind of helped me along most uh, since I decided to try and get my shit together was just talking to other guys about what they had been through. Yeah, and because guys don't like to talk about stuff. I don't know if you're familiar with this, Sean. Yes. No. Uh, generally not very open or wanting to share about emotions, and especially feelings and or feelings. Yeah. I mean, I don't know about feelings too much. I think <laughs> I just have a feeling. Yeah. But uh, just to, like hearing about crazy shit other guys have been through is like one of my favorite things. And also, if like uh, I've talked to like some guys who've been through difficult experiences and like gives me like inspiration to get through like my shit. Or yeah. you know, if sometimes I've like talked to guys who've had. Similar experiences to mine, like they're, they're like, uh, here's what I did that helped, and try it if you want. And so I realized I was like, I want to do a show like that, where I talk to guys about like the interesting, unique, difficult life experiences they had and how the hell they got through them, uh, because that's interesting to me, and I think it's actually, Definitely. I think it's actually something that's uh, not out there in a way. And I basically I just wanted to do something I was passionate about and something that I knew I'd want to do for a couple more years. And so basically I tried to take everything I learned from my experience with Gentleman's Club and put it into this new show, Man School, which, uh, which I launched February 1st. Uh, we've recorded a show. It hasn't aired yet. It'll be yeah. out in March. Um, my first episode mm-hmm. was called Brain Cancer at 30 with Bald Brian from the Adam Carolla Show, yeah. who got diagnosed with brain cancer at 30. And, uh, you know, I don't think I'm going to have that particular experience. You know, statistically, Knock on wood. probably not <laughs> going to happen here. Um, maybe I'll get cancer, but probably not brain cancer. Yeah. I mean, look, who knows? Maybe, right. I, maybe I already have it. But uh, that guy is so fucking inspiring. That would explain uh, going after the Puerto Ricans. <laughs> You're saying Puerto Ricans give you cancer? <laughs> well, just you would have to have a brain tumor to think that, you know, going after them would be a good idea. I had a lot of stupid ideas like that when <laughs> regardless, I was drinking. Regardless of yeah. two. But yeah, that uh, Bald Brian, like you said, sound effect guy in the Adam Carolla podcast, he went through, uh, yeah, he got diagnosed with brain cancer at 30. And yeah, just being a fan of, uh, you know, of uh, that uh, Adam Carolla podcast and his story. Uh, yeah, that's, I mean, that's crazy. And what was nice was you came on and talked about your testicular cancer. Yeah, that was, uh, it was very cathartic. I was oh, glad good. I could be a help. Yeah. And because the thing is like, uh, it's uh, it's amazing for anyone who's had that experience to be able to listen to that, and you know, and, and just sort of hear like the strength you have and the confidence and the experience. But also, it's just it's fascinating shit to listen to. It's just interesting. Yeah, I was just listening to uh, Mark Maron's uh, "What the Fuck" podcast. Mark Maron's like the only guy who I can listen to his podcast, and I actively don't like his. Po- <laughs> I don't actually don't like him as a person. Um. But yeah, Tom Green was on, and Tom Green was talking about his testicular cancer, and it was just so surreal 
thinking like, uh, I mean, because he got his surgery at the same hospital I got my surgery oh, wow. at. I had actually worked with Tom Green briefly. Um, I this is I don't I think I've told on the podcast before, but. So I applied, uh, broke my foot working construction, and I was looking on jobs on Craigslist for something to do. And I applied for an internship at Tom Green's web show. Oh, cool! And I go in there, and then I, you know, I hang out, I talk to him, I explain my dad's name's also Tom Green. I use that in the, uh, you know, use that in the interview, quote like unquote. Yeah, he liked it, and then yeah, I only interned for one episode. Um, I don't know. He he's kind of an eccentric. Odd dude, but sure. I felt like I did a good job interning. I didn't really, there wasn't really much for me to do. Anyway, long story short, but it was just, yeah, I guess it was just surreal to hear him talk about his testicular cancer story and, you know, going through the same hospital and just, uh, you know, being a comedian, having the same, you know, same last name. I don't know. It, it was just a very, uh, yeah, just very surreal. And or like, probably helpful to you. Yeah, helpful, definitely. And just things that he was talking about that he took out of the experience. It's like, yeah, I, I took a similar thing out of it, or I felt X, Y, or Z, or I don't know. Just this, it is like a, a, it is such a rare experience. But then I feel like I know a handful of other people who have had it. It's um, yeah, it's it's bizarre, surreal, interesting, fascinating. And yeah, you were telling me some of the other episodes or ideas that you've had for the podcast, like. Um, I don't know if it's uh, the one that has come out yet, but uh, the kidnapping one? Sure. Yeah, there's a, a guy who's actually one of my best friends. He's been kidnapped twice before. Yeah, now that sounds insane. Uh, absolutely. Totally insane. And, and the, the first one was kind of, like, mild as far as kidnappings go. But the second one was, like, you know, there was, like, guns and they were drugged and uh, beat up and had cigarettes put out on them. And, you know, it's, it was a good kidnapping. Yeah. Um, but so I figure, like, all right, I'm not an especially dark guy. Nor am I going to have a show that's like especially, I don't know, especially deep or dry. So I think for guys who could relate to anything that's sort of self-helpy, most of it's kind of boring. Right. So I'm going to do something that's fun, that's like just fascinating stories about how the hell did you get through this stuff, and uh, you know what what can we like take away as an audience? Yeah, and and it's a great idea for a podcast because a it's someone's coming in with a predetermined story, a predetermined angle. You're getting people from all different walks of life, all different kind of experiences. And yeah, you can kind of throw that man school brand or man school banner on a lot of concepts and a lot of different stories. Same reason why like the moth is fascinating is you hear different peoples of all different walks of life in the storytelling show. And I think you can kind of do that and build your own brand on that. So yeah, I think it's a, yeah, it seems like a great concept. Yeah, I want to take it to like a step further than storytelling. Right. Uh, um, and, I, and so far people are responding really well. I've had three episodes out. It's in the top five on uh, education podcast on iTunes. Oh, okay, nice. Yeah, so hiding out in education. <laughs> um, and, yeah, a lot of people are listening getting lots of nice uh, nice tweets and emails and that sort That's of thing. That's cool, man. And it's cool as a guy who did a lot of porn star interviews. Uh, which a lot of people don't like to be able to like say to like friends and family, you can listen to my stuff. <laughs> yes, it's really nice. This is a podcast for moms out there who want to learn about testicular cancer. What's nice about like your episode is so cancer is uh, not a great topic for a lot of people. You know, right. people are not big fans of cancer. But- it is weird. I mean, even talking about it on stage, people sometimes clinch up. It it takes a lot of 
figuring out of massaging it, especially in a pure comedic format, to yeah. like yeah. not freak everyone out because immediately, while people are sympathizing or empathizing or whatever, I never never bothered to figure out what the difference was there, but. It's like, wait, Sean's a regular guy. That could happen to me. And in a way, that's like bad to freak them out. But then in a way, it's really positive in that you should have that idea of like not not be anxious about it or be paranoid about it. But if you do notice signs, symptoms, whatever, not to think like, oh, I'm, it's, it can't happen to me. You know what I mean? But do you think for you there's also an element of does the audience think you're just fucking with them? Right. Well, especially live in stand-up. Uh, although, yeah, I don't know. I guess there's some element of that. Well, and then also it's like weird because you got to bring it up. you got to bring up the idea that you're doing okay. you got to bring up the idea that you have a sense of humor about it. you got to bring up that, like, you didn't feel – I don't know. It's like a, it's a, it's a tough ha- uh, topic to handle, but it's, it's challenging and it's – yeah. And also I guess as a performer too – I don't mind talking about it. I like talking about it. I think it's interesting. But then also, like, I don't want to be the cancer comic. You know, yeah, yeah. like, hey, I'm promoting my testicular cancer. It's it's a weird thing. You want to? I can see your logo now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just the golden one ball or something. Like, <laughs> it's you know, I, I like joking about it. It's a, I like taking humor from real serious situations and diffusing it, making yourself feel better about it, raising awareness, like. I think it's good and healthy to have a dialogue about it, but I don't want that to overshadow my overall comedic voice. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, I would imagine that's a tricky tightrope to walk. But right. for a podcast, it's perfect. Because, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I think all your listeners will enjoy you coming on Man School uh, because we can like take it to a serious place but also have some fun. And, uh, you know, have some time to spread it out and, like, enjoy the different parts of the topic. Yeah, no, I, I had a great time doing it. I'm, I'm looking forward to, uh, you know, helping you get it out there and promote it. And, uh, yeah, ch- check it out for sure. I think sure. we're doing that right now. Exactly. We're doing a little promoting here. Now, Caleb, yeah. you are an industry insider. Well, the, which, the podcast, the cancer, the porn? Exactly. There's well, so you're, inside, you're inside pornos. Uh, you're inside the uh, writer's rooms. Of, oh, by uh, the way, uh, just to cut you off for one second, sure. even though it's your own show. No, it's fine. So I am no longer interviewing women. Oh, okay. Man school is only men. It's all about the male experience. Sure. Because that's who, who I relate to the most. <laughs> and it's not anti-woman. I just, that's the show I want to do. Yeah. Uh, so the porn star interview is totally done. Okay. Totally retired. All right. Hang them up. You're hanging up your porn cleats. Okay. And I have herpes. <laughs> I, Oscars, just briefly to touch on this, uh, Oscars are coming up. Have you, what are your take on the Oscars? Any... Movies you saw that really jumped out that you thought were great, didn't get nominated. What's Any thoughts on the Oscars? There's actually one film I wanted to talk to you about, and I just forgot to do it. Sure. Silver Linings Playbook. Yes. Now, I loved the hell out of that movie. Uh, it's definitely the most polarizing movie of recent times because I think people – you just love it or hate it. Like you're either on board for the concept or not. Yeah. But uh, do you feel that's an average portrayal of an Eagles fan? Huh. Well, I mean – yeah, it's tough to say, crazy. That's <laughs> it's tough to say average, but as a guy who grew up in a large portion of my life in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, it's like yeah, to say average is one thing, but he they hit on a lot of true things of fans and kind of the culture and that lifestyle and people with mental. I think it was. I, honestly, I think it was more or less about like a football movie and an Eagles movie, but more like a movie 
Obviously, it's more about a movie about mental illness and that kind of stuff, but I think... That's why it's perfect for the Eagles. Exactly. Clinically insane. But I think they framed it pretty well as far as getting the culture right. And, uh, yeah, I think it was pretty solid. I mean, it was tough for me as a sports fan, as an Eagles fan, like, (laughs) not to be going over the timeline in my head of, like, continuity. Like, wait, they didn't play the Giants before they played the Cowboys. It wasn't or, thirty to thirteen. It was thirty to twenty-one. Yeah, I saw a guy with a Vic jersey. They didn't sign him till two thousand nine. Like this is bullshit. So I, I was nitpicking all the little continuity things that they had going uh, wrong. But overall, I thought it was I thought it was a pretty good movie. I I don't know. It was it's weird. It was like I I, I saw the movie as romantic comedy with like a really interesting I mean, like. A really fresh take on a romantic sure. comedy. Yeah, it was so ambitious. Like, usually people like that are the jokes. Like, yeah. they're not, like, the main characters who you're supposed to take seriously. Yeah, yeah. It's, I, I just loved it. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, my favorite movie of the year. I really like, I like Silver Linings Playbook. I like Django Unchained. I, I that's the only one I didn't see. It was good. Yeah, it was I gotta good. see it. I really, uh, favorite part was the uh, Michael Richards cameo. Huh. Um, I just I keep doing that joke. I can't help it. Uh, of course, referring to the n-word use, uh, prolific through the film. I like that just because you just stepped on your own joke. It's a know. good joke. I chuckled. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't need to explain it. Um, Zero Dark Thirty. That was hands down my favorite movie of the year. All right. I so saw it. Can I geek out a little bit? About sure. It? So I'm a writer. Um, yes. And one thing I like is good writing. Right. And now I loved Argo. But if you, if you look at Argo, uh, it was just it was you know it was just sort of about like a story. It wasn't really about people. And I, I like movies that are about people, where there's like characters like have a, a situation they go through and experience, and they change. Yeah. And like Ben Affleck, okay, he's the same guy at the beginning of Argo than he was at the end. See, than- out of all those good movies that we've talked about here, Argo probably my least favorite. Okay. I didn't I didn't say I, I didn't like Argo. I liked Argo, but. Not up there with Zero Dark Thirty in my mind, okay. and also well, Argo but, was good. But it was good, but I'm saying I didn't love it because they're just it wasn't yeah. deep enough. And ben Affleck's zero... hair threw me off. <laughs> Is that am I wrong? Like that, it just looked like a wig. I don't know if it was a wig or if he just grew it out. It looked like a wig, and it was unsettling. Because you thought it was so sexy, you just couldn't <laughs> exactly. control yourself. I was too turned film. on. You did the popcorn trick to yourself. <laughs> Now, Zero Dark Thirty, for me, is sort of the same thing. It's like it wasn't really about people. It was about, like, this big caper. Yeah. Uh, now, have you seen Homeland? Yes, I've seen parts of it. Okay, this is not a popular opinion, but when it comes to catching terrorists, I'll take Homeland over Zero Dark Thirty. Oh, okay. Because the characters actually are real people, not not just, like, these sort of, like, robots as part of this bigger plot. Like the, the redhead chick in uh, Zero Dark now, Thirty. Now, supposedly they're based off the same person, the Zero Dark Thirty girl and the Homeland girl. Well, there's some character development in Homeland, and that's what I that's what I like. So you felt like there wasn't enough character development in Zero Dark Thirty. I didn't think there was any. Yeah, I mean, maybe you're onto something. Uh, I didn't see a ton of growth from that um, from that woman. Yeah, you're right. I just I guess I was just fascinated at. It felt to me like an action movie and kind of like a spy thriller thing tied into one. And I'm just so fascinated with the story of Osama bin Laden. Because I was just dry. Uh, also uh, an Eagles fan. Yes, exactly. Rest no, he was a Cowboys fan. <laughs> That's, that sounds about right. He uh, actually no, America's team. He would hate them. <laughs> he probably likes the uh, the Montreal Argonauts. The yes, exactly. Uh, anyone to stick it to the to America, but yeah, it was. I guess it just encapsulated like a, 
slice in my life. Like I remember, as I imagine you do and anyone who was of a certain age, where I was when I heard about the towers, and then now I'm looking at a movie trailer poster ten years later about the capture of him. So I, I don't know. I guess I'm I'm more just fascinated with that whole story. I felt like insane. It to me, I think they did something right in the fact that. It was so dramatic, even though you knew the outcome. So, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I don't know. I just enjoyed it. I couldn't, I couldn't make an argument for it. And I see your point about not having the character development. That's just me. That's just me nitpicky. Like yeah. it was a really good movie. Right. Like I thoroughly enjoyed it. Everything about it was so well done. But that's why at the end of the day, I'll take silver linings. Okay. Because because you saw the growth of this guy, and he kind of conquered some stuff. He changed but he was the same person yeah it's like it's the human experience even though it was characters who had two different you know lives than i had but uh oh that hugger games girl oh yeah exactly Ooh. uh good times well caleb appreciate you coming on the podcast uh, everyone make sure you check out man well, let School. me give you my picks for best sound mix okay uh, yes. cinematography for an independent foreign film uh best you want to go over i brought a list it's like five pages sean <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure I will be doing some Oscar picks on my sports gambling podcast. So, and do you want me to do my porno awards picks? <laughs> yes. Do some uh, AVN locks real quick. Okay, here. real quick. Bradley Cooper best anal <laughs> for the Bangover Part Two. That was the gay porn parody. I'm sure. I'm sure there were many porn parodies. Well, Caleb, lots of fun having you on the podcast. Thank uh, you. Best of luck with your new podcast, Green Room listeners. Make sure you check out his podcast and especially my episode. But his uh, podcast in general as well, Man School. Where can uh, throw out some links? Manschoolshow.com on iTunes, on Stitcher, but of course uh, on on Twitter at Manschoolshow. I'm at Caleb Eats Bacon, CalebBacon.com, Manschoolshow.com. Uh, and if you go to SeanTGreen.com slash Manschool, uh, you'll probably get an error message. <laughs> but hey, what the hell? You know? But hey, you know how Google works. I'm sure you Google Manschool, you'll figure it out. And click on Sean's Amazon link. Exactly. And then go buy the Zero Dark Thirty uh, t-shirt or something right. like and, that. And yeah, because it doesn't involve any characters. It just involves a cool helicopter taking out Osama Bin Laden. What more could you want? Well, the Oscars are coming up this weekend, and who better to bring on than the Green Room Show official movie reviewer to give us an Oscar preview, Mr. Stud Manley. Stud, how you doing? How are you doing, Sean? I hope life is just being wonderful to you these days. Oh, life is indeed wonderful. I'm really excited for the Oscars this weekend. Oh, yes. Let's jump into it, Stud. Who, um, I know uh, the nominees for the Best Female Actors, it's going to be pretty competitive what's your take well sean uh for the female actors as well as all the other nominees i really don't think any of these people probably deserve to be nominated <laughs> of course i i haven't seen any of these films and i have no plans uh, to see these films one in particular is uh helen hunt who's being nominated as a uh, i'm not sure if it's best uh, leading actress or best supporting actress i don't think it really matters <laughs> it's for this movie the sessions you're familiar with that movie yeah, yeah, I heard a lot of buzz about it. Yeah, it's uh, you know she plays in uh, like a prostitute with a high IQ or something who likes giving hand jobs to like you know like I'm, I'm going to say use the word retarded or mentally challenged people <laughs> or people who are sexually unattractive. But what bothers me, you know, is not so much her. I, I have no idea how her acting was in the movie, but it's the way she prepared, and I have proof it, uh, of the way she prepared for this film. And I find it uh, disturbing as well as uh, quite inappropriate. 
Now, what did what did Helen Hunt do to prepare for the sessions? Well, Sean, and I'm sure you probably heard these stories too. She was giving hand jobs to film critic Roger Ebert. Oh no! <laughs> and I heard you know, there was quotes. Uh, if you know, if I can stand giving a hand job to that ugly person, like you know, this guy, this freak in the movie is no no problem. And and, and, <laughs> and I could prove it if you just read the Roger Ebert review of the movie. It was a glowing review. <laughs> and so you're thinking the only way he wrote that was if he was getting a hand job from Helen Hunt. I I think it's pretty obvious. Uh, who else okay. is going to give him a hand job? <laughs> exactly. He's uh, yeah. He doesn't have a lot of uh, potential candidates there. Now another movie that's getting a lot of buzz and had a, a female lead up there was The Beasts of the Southern Wild. Oh, the what is what is that movie about? First of all, it's about a the hurricane or something. There's some giant wombats or porcupines or something. I mean, I don't even know what this movie is about. And they they're trying to hype this actress. Okay, this so-called six-year-old girl, this Kwasnani Wallace. I don't know if you've seen the film. But, you know, tell me, Sean, they're they're hyping it up trying to get her the Oscar, saying she is the youngest girl who has ever been nominated for Best Actress in a Leading Role. Yeah, I heard that. That would, be, uh, yeah. that would be quite the achievement if she wins. Well, Sean, I would like to see some written documentation proving that she is not in actuality just a flat-chested midget. Of some kind. I mean, it's very hard to tell. I mean, you know, it's hard to tell how old a, a midget is, a female midget, if she, you know, if she's not very chesty. Yeah, they well, they say black don't crack, and uh, I imagine the same for midgets. They don't, they don't yeah. seem to come off as uh, grown women. So maybe that's exactly what's going on, stud. Exactly. That's why I only call this show, Sean. That's why I only do my reviews <laughs> on this radio show because you're sophisticated and intelligent and we see things uh pretty much the same way i'm savvy i'm savvy now i'm a huge fan of uh naomi watts do you think she has a chance of winning well she might have a chance of winning but we all know that uh hollywood is very political and uh to prove the point uh, now that you bring up naomi watts uh the reason she is a she's a fine actress a very pretty lady but my problem with this film is not so much her performance. I had no idea how good her performance was. But And you know what the movie was, The Impossible, but it's about is based on, okay, they say it's based on a family. And this was a family like Mexicans, you know, and Naomi Watts is not really very Mexican-y looking. And it was during the 2004 tsunami, and this is, you know, supposed to be a family who's a victim to that tsunami. But what the movie failed to show is that this character, this Naomi Watts character in real life, was taking advantage of this whole tsunami situation to defecate in the middle of the streets. And there was a lot of people doing it. She's not the only one. But she was making her son uh, wipe her bottom, and there's proof of it. There's You there, stud? Yes, I'm here. Oh, sorry. Yeah, that's... <laughs> That is that is uh, pretty crazy that she was using that as well, uh, part of her preparation. Yeah. Sorry, my mind was blown. I didn't I didn't get that inside scoop on Naomi Watts. Now, well, it was the character in the movie in real life. They were they were defecating. They were supposed to be victims, but they were defecating in the streets. Now, what about uh, the best male actors? Do you have a scoop on them? Who do you who do you uh, who are you hearing about? 
Well, I've been hearing a lot about uh, you, Jackman, because you know, if, if some if it's, if an actor or an actress gets to sing in a part, they always get nominated and they usually win. But I mean, this this whole uh, Hugh Jackman's in this uh, movie, Les Ms. Rob. You know, he's Jean Valjean, and we all know the origin of the uh, how this story uh, originally was uh, the, or the original origin of this film is from, you know, there was some, some gay people in Broadway. They wrote a musical about uh, this man who went to prison for stealing a loaf of bread. I'm sure you're familiar with the whole story. Yep. Yeah. But what, but what I thought, I mean, this is, I mean, it's a pretty ridiculous idea for story, but I thought maybe me and you could get together and redo this movie, Sean, and I think you're going to like this. Is what, but what we would do, we would make it more like a comedy. And instead of it starring you, Jackman, you know, stealing a loaf of bread and going to prison, we would have our version, you know, starring Richard Gere, you know, and he gets thrown in prison for stealing a gerbil, you know, so he can shove that gerbil up his butt. Okay. <laughs> what do you think? That's a pretty good idea, you know? Yeah, I think that's solid. I, I, don't, I think uh, Hollywood's ready for that. Now, one of my favorite movies of the whole year, Stud, Zero Dark Thirty. What's your what's your review? I know you didn't see it, but you can still give me a review. Well, yeah, it's, I heard it's a very well made film, uh, Sean, and this Catherine Bigelow. You know, she used to give it up to uh, that other guy. Who's that director? She used to give it up to once upon a time to learn the ropes. Uh, Carpenter, or no, not him, uh, James Cameron. Yes. She used to she used to give it up to him, you know, so she could you know learn the hard way about the business. My problem with this movie is not the filmmaking. I'm sure it's a very well-made film and probably some good acting. But my problem with this film is, and we know it's about the CIA going in there and the SEALs, and they go in there and they kill Osama bin Laden. The problem with that is Osama bin Laden is still alive. He's, he's shaved off his beard, and it's a proven fact he's living in either West Hollywood or Texas, and it's, it's well-documented. <laughs> so, what I... Oh, go ahead. What are we going to say? No, no, no. What? Well, what? Oh, what's the solution? Well, I have I have another idea for this, Sean, and I know that you're really going to be excited about this one. You know, we make it like a double feature. You know, our remake of Zero Dark Thirty after our remake of Less Miserable. Well, and we and we would me and you, you'd be like Rich Cassidy and Sundance Kid, you know, but it'd be a comedy, <laughs> and me and you would be like CIA, Navy SEALs, you know, and then when we go in there to catch Osama bin Laden, you know, he's you know having a big like a party, like a big like an orgy party, you know, and he's in there and he's watching you know pornography on his computer, but then in a, like a subplot, you know, in the back room, Rod Stewart is in the back room, you know, and he's getting his stomach all filled with semen, and then we have to rush into the hospital to get his stomach pumped okay all right hey you know it'd be pretty good we get maybe matt sullivan you know he might want to you know write the screenplay you know he can take credit for it or he could do it unaccredited you know he could you know we'll have to discuss the pay you know well, yeah we'll, we'll, we'll work out all the details but i think we got oh. a winning combination there now oh, okay, st- great. one uh one thing that's always big at the oscars is the snubs the oscar you know the movies oh. that didn't get nominated who don't have a shot of winning did you feel like the Academy overlooked any films this year? Uh, well, now that you bring it up, Sean, there are a couple of movies that I'm really uh, disgusted with Hollywood um, for not uh, giving a nomination to. And one of them is a movie I, I never even heard of until a few days ago. It's a film called Movie 43. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I heard some, you know, some teenage boys talking about it, and they said that it was just so wonderful. I'm not sure what it was about, but these young boys, and that's the, you know, the primary audience, you know, teenage boys. That's who goes sees all these movies. And they said Hugh Jackman was like a, pardon my language, like a faggot in that list of Raw, but in this one, you know, he was like really, you know, good in this movie. <laughs> Did you see this movie? No, I, I missed it. I heard, uh, yeah, That's I can't pretty, believe the Academy overlooked movie 43. No, yeah. And another film, Sean, and, and you know about this film, and of course I've never seen this film either, but <laughs> I have watched the uh, clips of it on YouTube. I watch it every day, three or four times a day, and, as you, and you know what film I'm about to say, Sean, and this is a surprise to you, and this was not set up in any way. The film I'm talking about is Comedy Garage. Oh wow! And you Thank the, you. Sir. You and your friends uh, Cornell and Paul Danke uh, are the originators of Comedy Garage, and it was made by your good friend Logan Lysico. And why is that not? It's such a good film, Sean. And I can tell just by looking at the trailer that it should not only get nominated for best documentary, but for best motion picture as well. Well, I appreciate it, Stud. I'm glad I have at least one backer in Hollywood supporting me. I'm going to take that. I'm going to take this. The suggestion, I'm going to take it all the way to the Academy. Hopefully, Thank maybe you. next year they'll count it for the Comedy Garage documentary. Stud, Thank I appreciate you. your time and your Oscar preview. Thank you, Jesus, for all my sophistication and intellectualism and talent, and thank you for being uh, – let me be a part of the show. Thank you so much, Sean Green. All right. Have a great one, Stud. The Green Room with Sean Green. Keep up the great work. See you later. Download archived episodes at 247comedy.com and follow the show on Twitter at Green Room Show. He should have seen she was really naive. Shit, she was still only 19. And he was many years older. But he's seen her walk by in them tight jeans. And he looked at her like, that's my queen. Cause he thought that he could mold her.